Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Happy Easter, everybody. So good to see you. My wife texted me last night on her way to church. She said, you want to know what takes resurrection power? Us getting out the door for church. Isn't that right? So glad you're here. And uh, God is here. God is with you. God is with you wherever you may be in an overflow space or uh, watching online from home, uh, listening in a car later this week. God is with you. God is real. Jesus is alive. A couple computer scientists a few years ago wanted to quantify and rank history's most significant human beings. Uh, So they developed an algorithm to scan text and determine, rank the most influential people who have ever lived. So large-scale analysis of text, of news feeds, encyclopedias, Wikipedia. They ended up writing a 400-page book published by the Cambridge University Press. And I'll save you the $15. Jesus comes out uh, number one. He comes out number one. One of the authors of the book says this in an interview about the book. We would call Jesus the most significant person ever. With over 2 billion followers 2,000 years after his death, Jesus is an incredibly successful historical meme. Uh, Which is a very 2020s way of putting that and quite an understatement. But there's no debate, Jesus is number one. I mean, for instance, uh, people who study Abraham Lincoln love to tout that there are more books written about Abraham Lincoln than about anyone else save for Jesus Christ. They say there are 15,000 books about Abraham Lincoln. But it's not like there's 15,001 written about Jesus Christ. There are hundreds of thousands of books written about Jesus. And my question is this. Wouldn't someone who is that big of a deal, wouldn't people just be a little bit interested and curious about who that person really is? And I know you are, that's why you're at church this weekend or watching this or listening to this, of course, and it just makes sense that you would be curious about him, not even necessarily as a spiritual exercise, but just as a person, just as a human being. For instance, if it was your responsibility to orient someone to the world, you could not even do that without referencing Jesus. Uh, You would tell them uh, it's 2021. 2021 what? Years. Years from what? Years from Jesus. Jesus who? Uh, And you would realize in that moment that's where the curriculum begins. Because love him, hate him, indifferent, Jesus is the biggest thing to happen on this planet. And what I have found is there is a gap. There is a gap, a shocking degree of ignorance by people who are otherwise extremely well-read extremely well-educated, who have just no idea who Jesus actually was. And in lieu of reading about him, or instead of looking into it, they judge Jesus by uh, his fans or his followers or something that they've heard about him or, or, or their own pet theory that they've made up. And the theories don't hold up, but they're totally fine with them. For instance, you'll hear, well, the way I've always seen it is that Jesus was a great moral teacher, and then hundreds of years after his death, people started making up 
these myths and legends about how he rose from the dead. That is objectively, impartially, historically false. Every historian, all historians, Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer, agree that the message from day one about the Christian faith was that Jesus was crucified on a cross and rose on the third day. That's the core message. Acts 1-3 says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Christianity is stubbornly historical. It's not a philosophy. It's not a spirituality. The books of the Bible are made up of historical documents that hold up to textual criticism. And what we've sung about Jesus so far today, like it's not a metaphor. Someone asked me once, so do you in your church, like do you, do you believe that Jesus is alive and that he um, is like living through you guys and so his message and his purpose kind of lives on and, and that's how Jesus is alive today? Or do you believe that he physically rose from the dead on Easter and, and had a resurrected body. I said, oh, the last one, for sure, absolutely. Uh, can we still be friends? Like, what's going on here? It's like, no, I already thought you were weird, but that's what <laughs> Christians believe, that this is real. This is not metaphor, this isn't spring and new life and eggs, and that's what Christians have believed since the resurrection. Another pet theory that people have come up with is well, I just think that his first followers made up the idea that he rose from the dead. Jesus died on a Friday, and then Sunday they decided that um, let, let's tell everybody that he rose. But if you know anything about first century Jews, you would know that there are a dozen different reasons that is the last thing they would ever want to make up. In fact, their message about Jesus and seeing Jesus alive costs them their reputation, their livelihoods, their families, it costs them their very lives. For instance, Acts 12, one through two, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword, and that's how they all died. Uh, persecuted, exiled, all the apostles, crucified, stoned, speared, arrows, beheadings, tortured, sawed in pieces never once denying who Jesus is, never once denying that they saw Jesus alive after he was crucified and dead on a cross. So uh, hundreds of people saw Jesus alive after his death. Thousands quickly began to believe it changed the world. He's the most significant, most important person to ever live. And you owe it to yourself and you owe it to him to know about his life. So today we're beginning a new series on the life of Jesus. We're going to learn about several major events in his life and discover that they actually really mean something for us. And to kick things off, I wanna talk about today, uh, why did Easter have to happen? Why did Good Friday and Easter have to happen? We'll come back to the cross and the resurrection in this series, uh, but uh, I wanna answer why did Easter have to happen? It's the most important event in history, and it's a fair question to ask, why is it there? 
And there are answers to that question. As we get into it, I just want to read some excerpts from the Gospel of Luke on the accounts of Jesus' death. This is from Luke. Luke was a medical doctor who investigated the life of Jesus. He talked to many eyewitnesses of the accounts of his life, and those eyewitness accounts make up the Gospel of Luke. Leading up just before where we'll start reading today, Jesus has been arrested. He has been taken through six sham trials. They all happened at night. It was illegal to have a trial at night. Uh, They keep passing him around. They cannot find him guilty of anything except um, one thing, and that is that he claims to be God. Blasphemy. So he's gone through a horrible night being punished, flogged, beaten, a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp. He is beaten and bloody. And in Luke 23, starting in verse 26, as the soldiers led him away, they see Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way and from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, if he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, this is the Roman overseeing the crucifixion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. 
but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Why did Jesus go through all this? Why did Jesus do it? Even on the cross, forgiving the very people who are killing him. Even in his last moments, forgiving and saving. I mean, these two guys next to him, if that is not a picture of what is before us, one rejects him, one receives him and believes in him. If that is not hope, if that is not grace, that a guy in his last hour gets saved, why did Jesus have to die? If you're taking notes, write this in. Jesus died so that you could live. Let me put it as plainly as I can. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. Before there was sin, there was no death. When sin entered the world, so did death. When we believed the lies, when we doubted God's goodness, when we took matters into our own hands, when we said, no, God's holding out on us. God is holding goodness back from us. And we sinned against God. There was a connection that was broken. There was a fall the fall of mankind. And with it came separation from life, separation from God that we could not mend. Life is now broken. The world is broken. Your body is broken. Relationships are broken. You've seen it. You've felt it. You've sensed it. This is it? This is supposed to be life? This is what God wanted for the world? All this death, all this loneliness, all this decay? No, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You were made to last forever. One day your heart's going to stop. That'll be the end uh, of, of this part of you, of this time, that will not be the end of you. You were made in God's image. You were created to last forever. The cross shows us that there is something to be saved from. And you're going to live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. God says, I want to save you from hell. I want you in heaven with me. He says, in fact, I've done everything possible to get you into heaven. Like you think I withhold good things? I've withheld nothing, even sending my son to die for you. To go to hell, you have to reject the love of God. Why would anyone ever do that? The wages of sin is death. That means someone has to die. And that's where God said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Jesus Christ is sent to earth, God in human form, and says, I will pay for your sins. You see, hell is not a place that God sends people that he's mad at. It's a place people go to pay the wage. It's a place people go to pay for their sin. Jesus came and absorbed death he said, I'll die in your place. I'll be your substitute. He was forsaken and separated from God on the cross and died. Why? Because he loves you and wants you to live. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's the whole reason Jesus Christ, the most significant person to ever walk the planet, came to earth. In John 12, it records Jesus uh, before he's arrested and goes to the cross. He's in agony. He knows what's about to happen. And he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Jesus is saying, I know what I'm about to go through. And what am I going to say in this moment? God, get me out of it? No, it's for this very reason I'm here. If there had been another way, another way for us to be saved, don't you think God would have chosen that? If there wasn't something to be saved from, if there wasn't a death to be saved from, don't you think God would have done something else? He wouldn't have gone through with this. No, the wages of sin is death. Someone told me once uh, that they, if sin makes them bad, they've just, they're at peace, that they're a bad person. They're at peace, that they're okay. They're okay with being bad. I've got news for you. Sin does not make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And there is, I mean, the problem is not that we're bad and need to go to church or need to do some things to get good because as good as you might get, it still won't reach the standard of perfection. And it still won't bring a dead person to life. The wages of sin, the payoff of sin, we are all sinners and the reward for that is a dead and dormant soul and the inability to have a relationship with God. And none of us have the power to get alive. That's a side effect of being dead. You can't do anything for yourself. (laughs) And into this problem comes the good news. Jesus says, I am perfect, and I know your sin has separated you from me, and I know that you're incapable of finding your way back to me, so I'm going to come to you. I'm going to find you. Even more than that, I'm going to step out of perfection onto planet Earth from the holiness into the mess and the brokenness that has been made, and here's why I'm doing that, because you're lost and dead. If you were just bad, I could have just sent you an inspiring story. If you were just bad, I would have just sent you a checklist. If you were just bad, I would have sent you a step-by-step program to get back on track. If you were just bad, I could have just sent you the top 10 ways to get better. No, you're dead, so I'm going to need to come to find you because just as you had nothing to do with your birth, there is nothing you can do to be born again. So I will take your place, I will take your sin, I will take your shame, I will suffer the death for you so that then by the power of God, when I am raised from the dead, by the power of God, you can be raised from the dead. God brought us back to life through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we identify ourselves with Jesus, when we believe that his sacrifice made a way for us to be right with God, we are given eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So many people think that they're going to earn their way to heaven uh, by doing something, by being good, or by not being as bad as someone else, or, or maybe getting lucky, or maybe tipping the scale of their own life enough. They can be good enough. But heaven is not for good people. Heaven's not for nice people. Heaven's not for kind people. Heaven is for alive people. And you can say, well, I'm better than so-and-so or I'm nicer than so-and-so. I have no doubt you are. 
Many of you are better than me, but that's like saying I can out bench press my grandmother. So what? What does that get you? (laughs) Obviously, friend, you're no dictator. You're at church on Easter Sunday. But what does it matter how good, how kind, how nice you are if you're dead? The difference between death and life is not graded on a curve. The Bible says being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything you do. So nobody can, no one can brag about it. Can you imagine if you could earn your way to heaven? Having to sit in heaven and listen to everybody's story about how they got there? That would be hell. I can't think of anything I would rather do less than sit there and listen. Well, I gave to charity and I got here because I went on a mission trip and I got here because I made amends and I got here because I prayed uh, all of these things and I got here because I did this. It would be terrible. A kid was building a deck with his dad and um, the kid was using a screwdriver, an impact driver. And uh, he's driving in the screws into the deck. None of them are going in, though. He can't get them to go in. And his dad had stepped away to, to go work on something else. And the kid is just there. And he wants to have these screws in by the time his dad gets back. And so he is just pushing and, and pushing. And he cannot get it to go in. And so he's just, I mean, he's got another hand on it. And he's pulling that thing. And he's just trying to get that screw in. And it's not going in. He's got, I must not be strong enough. I got to be tougher. I got to be stronger. He's trying to get it in. Keeps pushing harder. More effort. More effort. Finally, the driver starts uh, smoking. If if you've ever had that happen, you can smell it. The dad smells it, comes around, looks at it, looks at his son trying and says, son, you've got it in reverse. (laughs) And when you've got it in reverse, all the extra effort isn't going to work. He had it backwards. Do you have it backwards? Some people have it backwards. Let me say clearly, heaven is not based on what you do. A lot of people feel trapped by what they've done, by their past. They say, if you knew what I've done, you'd know that I'd never be acceptable to God. And I don't know what you've done, but God does, and he still accepts you. I don't say that. The Bible says that. The Bible says God will accept us and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. Heaven is not based on what you do. Heaven is based on who you trust. Jesus died so that you could live. He didn't have to do it. I I titled this message, Why Did Easter Have to Happen? Friend, it did not have to happen. But it had to happen for you to be saved. It's the only way for you to be saved. Jesus is the only way. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end at the cross because Jesus did not stay in the tomb. Some more excerpts from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? 
the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. He is risen. It shows the whole thing is real. You know, there have been a lot of religious teachers throughout history, um, a lot of moral teachers. Jesus died and rose again. Of course, many people throughout history have claimed to be God. Did you know that? There's been hundreds of them. Hundreds of people that have claimed to be God even garnered a small following. Uh, you've never heard of them. You don't know their names. Why? And why is it that we're still talking about Jesus today? Why is it that two billion people know about Jesus and will worship him this Easter Sunday? The difference is Jesus said, I'll prove it. I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to let you kill me. I'll die and be dead and on the third day rise again. And that's exactly what he did. Romans 1, 3 through 4 tells us he was shown to be the son of God. He proved it when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just go, hi, bye, and that was it. No, he hung around Jerusalem for another 40 days, talking with people, eating with people, one time going fishing with people, another time talking to a crowd of about 500 people. He went all through Jerusalem for 40 days, and that's why about half the city, 125,000 people became believers, because the guy that they had just put up on a cross was now walking around. That's why we celebrate Easter. Now, why did he do it? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? If you're taking notes, Jesus rose to show us God's purpose for our lives. You weren't made to live for yourself. It's not about you. You were made by God. You were made for God. And until you connect those dots uh, and figure that out, life will never make sense. Do you think God put you on earth to live a selfish life? Of course not. It's not about you. That's why the self-centered, selfish life, it's never fulfilling. You were made for a far greater purpose than just your own pleasure. You were made for a far greater purpose than your own self-fulfillment. God did not put you on earth to live for yourself. He put you on earth to live for him. That's where real fulfillment comes from. You were made for a greater purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, there is a much better life uh, that most of the people in the world, they don't know about. It's a life of meaning and purpose, a life that isn't rattled by the chaos of the world, a life that can be hard-pressed on every side and never loses hope. Have you ever noticed that how some people who have a whole lot of things still have no meaning, still have no meaning in their life? You were made for more than money. You were made for more than pleasure. You were made for a purpose. And we don't need more stuff, better stuff. We need a resurrection life, a better life. You need the life of Christ in you. And that's what we'll talk about in this series. There was a church in the first century in Corinth that asked the, this question about the resurrection. Of, what does the resurrection actually mean? What does it mean for us? And the Apostle Paul says, what does it mean? It means everything. It means everything for our life. In 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And then he uses an agricultural illustration. The first fruits, he's just the first of those who have, and now 
because Jesus conquered death. It's not even death anymore. What are we going to call this? It's a transfer. It's just like falling asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If you keep reading uh, from where we left off in the Gospel of Luke, you see that one of the things Jesus does after he rises from the dead is he asks his disciples for something to eat. Is he really that hungry? What's going on there? No, he's proving to them that he's physically there. He's not a ghost or a spirit. He says, no, I'm really here. Feel my flesh and bone. Watch me eat something. Why is that so significant? Because the fact that Jesus has a body points to the actual meaning of the resurrection. Like you can understand that the resurrection happened and still totally misunderstand the meaning of it. Dale Bruner is an American scholar of the New Testament and I love this. He tells the story of uh, talking about the resurrection to a group of kids one time, uh, small children. And he says, does anybody know what the first thing Jesus said to his disciples was after he rose from the dead? And the little girl goes, I know, I know, I know. He calls on her and she stands up and goes, (laughs) ta-da! Thanks for laughing at that. One of the services did not laugh at that and that was really awkward. (laughs) But is that what this is? Is it just a magic trick where he's vindicating himself and showing off and No, the body of Christ shows us this, that he is the first that will be raised. It will happen to all of us. When they look at his his own resurrected body, the disciples are looking into their future. The resurrection means that not only is there life after death, but the life that follows death is every bit as physical as the life that precedes it. The kingdom of heaven, it's not an ethereal place. It's not a a place with weird harp music and disembodied souls floating around. Heaven is physical, just as physical as this, with eating and drinking and real joy and hugging and running and safety and security and everything that we wish we had here. And that's what Jesus' body means. This is your future. This is what's coming. You'll have a resurrect in heaven, you'll have a resurrected body that actually works. <laughs> Can you imagine? And life and relationships. A, a new heaven, a new earth, an earth that's not broken that actually works. Life that works. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. You know, it looked very much like the same old story. It did. They hung him on a cross. They ran him through with a spear. They wrapped him up. They put him in a tomb. They closed the door to the tomb and they walked away. 
all good things come to an end. All flesh dies. Same as it's always been. Except this time on that day, Jesus said, no, it's going to be different this time. And it's going to go different every time from now on. And the stone is rolled away and eternity invades history and death is defeated. Friend, if you don't have a hope that's bigger than death, you don't have any hope at all. The resurrected body of Jesus means that hope and future is available to us all. Now, if you don't act on this news, uh, then for you, uh, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, it's wasted on you personally. It makes no difference in your life. You recognize the gift, but you didn't believe it. Don't get this backwards. Don't live in reverse. God loves you and wants to save you. And God is not asking you to make a promise that you can't keep. God is asking you to believe a promise only he can keep. Just like the man hanging next to Jesus was powerless. I mean, what's that guy going to do for God? What's that guy going to do about his life? But he could cling to a promise, and you can too. And you can live with assurance and hope and life and purpose. He says, believe in me, and I will do this. Let's pray together. Well, if your instincts tell you that there's more, that there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than, than what this looks like and the world and what we're experiencing. Easter tells you that you're right. And I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. I believe Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead. And just pray to him now in your heart and mind, God, I want to have a real faith in you. I want to become a trusting believer in you. Thank you for coming to earth and living the perfect life I could never live. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross because of my sin. Thank you for rising from the dead, proving that you are God, that you have the power to forgive sin. And God, I want to accept your gift of grace. I need it. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. Lord, I, I want to learn what it means to trust you, to trust your wisdom and strength. I want to have a promise to hold on to when times are tough. And I want to be raised to eternal life in heaven and a full life on earth. Just pray to him this Easter. God, I believe Jesus died for my sin, and rose from the dead. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.